Welcome to Anecdotal Notes. I'm your host, Pat Aiken. Uh, Steve's still under the weather, so like I said, we're probably going to be a couple of more uh, until Steve gets back. We miss Steve. Say a word, uh, positive thoughts, vibrations, prayers, that uh, Steve will be back. Uh, <clears throat> and I unfortunately am still suffering from hay fever. Uh, it's the springtime here, and honestly, the for the first time in a, a few years, uh, the weather was the uh, the air rather was deemed unhealthy <laughs> in this area of the state because of the pollen count. And I have to just be honest. I mean, <clears throat> it's really suffering through this right now, first time. But anyway. <sighs> I hope you are well. I hope that everything's going okay in your life out there. And in this episode, it's going to be kind of a split episode because I'm going to cover two things. I'm going to talk about the gin, which uh, I'll get into a further explanation in a moment from an Islamic or a Muslim standpoint for their explanation of what gin are. And we're also going to talk a little bit about ghosts <clears throat> and the existence of ghosts. I think it's a worthy topic to talk about uh, because, you know, we, we are basically surrounded by uh, phenomena, things that manifest themselves, and a lot of times we have no idea uh, what we might be dealing with. So it's good to look at this or at least look at the classic uh, explanations for what we may be dealing with uh, from the standpoint of orthodox religions. Uh, <clears throat> some religions, I mean Buddhism, uh, Hinduism, they take for granted that there are uh, Ghosts that uh, a human spirit does and can exist beyond the death of its body. When you get into the monotheistic religions like Islam and Judaism and certainly Christianity, then it becomes a guessing game as to what exactly you you think you may be dealing with. So. It's worthwhile to explore this from a paranormal perspective and to investigate these topic areas simply because if you're going to be out there and you're going to be investigating these things, you know, I strongly suggest, you know, do a little research, do some library time. Uh, like I always say, you know, eat the meat, spit out the bones. Everybody's guessing to some degree. There's no definitive explanation as to what a ghost is or what uh, you may be dealing with. Because the fact is, if something's invisible and we can't see it, we might be able to feel it. We may have a sense of, of the, the intention of whatever this thing are being or whatever spirit may be, but honestly, you know, we're like uh, a blind man groping in the dark. We, we're feeling with our hands and our other senses, we're trying to figure this situation out. So 
you know, best first uh, sort of uh, advice I could give anyone is, you know, forewarned is forearmed. So, you know, crack a book, get some other people's perspectives on what you may be dealing with, because the truth is we don't know. Uh, I can speak to you from perhaps my religious conviction, but from a truly empirical scientific standpoint, we don't have proof that any of this exists. So, you know, be circumspect and be wise and uh, research, research, research and read and maybe, you know, watch some documentaries on uh, your television. You know, just just have some depth. See what other people do and build on that. You know, they're good techniques. I may or may not disagree with someone's conclusions, but they're excellent ways of exploring an unknown subject. And <clears throat> we learn from each other, and that's the most important thing I can uh, share with you today is, you know, listen and learn and then do it your way. You know, your way may be different from mine, but it doesn't negate your way and it doesn't mean you're wrong. It just may be different. So anyway, I was uh, leafing my way through the Quran and uh, I have several translations of the Quran, but the one that I'm going to use today is... uh, the Holy Quran text translation and commentary by Abdullah Yusuf Ali and it's considered uh, for English translation you have to understand that uh, in Islam their holy language is Arabic so to truly understand all the inference in uh, the Quran you need to be an Arabic speaker and you need to be able to read it and understand uh, Arabic to really understand the nuance and the inference of what the uh, the Quran has to share but for our purposes I feel like this is uh, a fairly excellent translation that we can trust and let's just explore one thing I did notice Uh, I'm going to read some passages from the Surah which is Surah 72 entitled Jinn and uh, there's a foreword and in the foreword there's a passage and it says spiritual truth finds its lodgment in all sorts of unexpected places and in all sorts of unexpected ways. The man of God, when most depressed by the bullets, buffets of the world, steeped in selfishness, sees a glorious vision. Hidden spiritual forces work for him, make known the truth in marvelous ways, and proclaim the goodness and judgment of God. They reject all error and lead others to purify their wills and come to God. Behold, 
Every place and time, every gift is meet for the service of God, the one, the true whose word the righteous one proclaims and must proclaim at all cost. Man's duty is plain, but in the kingdom of God, through God's chosen ones, we rise to higher and higher mysteries, as may be expedient for us. Yet when or how our end may be is not given. To man to know, let him but take the treasures well guarded that come to him and praise the Lord of all knowledge and wisdom. And to me, I don't know, the passage struck me as I was researching this last week, and, you know, it it echoes the same notion that, that one gets in the Bible where it says, Knock and it shall be opened. Seek and ye shall find. Uh, in that passage from Matthew in the Gospels, uh, if we seek, if we look, if we knock, things become more apparent to us. Uh, things perhaps are given to us. Now, obviously, uh, given, you know, if you're an atheist and you're listening to the show, that's your, you know, right and opinion that there is no spiritual realm, that we just exist for a period of time and then we dissolve into nothingness upon our death. Okay, uh, my personal feeling is that there is a God and that there is a spiritual realm and that we are existing as one realm among different dimensions and that there are things going on concurrently around us with spiritual beings. You know, I'm not going to turn this into a Sunday school class, but my point is that, it, you know, I've found in my life it to be true that if you are truly prayerfully looking and seeking for something, explanations do suddenly appear as if from nowhere. And to me, it just seems to indicate that whatever your perspective may be or your definition of what God may be or what an angel or a jinn may be. There seems to be a force at work in our planet, in our universe, that responds to us and opens doors of knowledge and makes things known to us. To me, it just seems like there is truly an ongoing spiritual interaction between people on this planet and whatever other realm there may be out there. <clears throat> so, firstly, let's talk about uh, something you may not know, because this is not well known in mo most Western civilization. Scholars know about this. Obviously, Muslims are people who, uh, who adhere to the uh, religion of Islam. In our societies living amongst us, they would be aware of this, but the average person I don't think in the Western world knows about jinn. And if you do know about jinn, it's more likely something like I Dream of Genie or uh, Genies or a Disney movie or the I mentioned I Dream of Genie from the 60s. And that's a very simple explanation for what jinn are. Uh, 
first off, jinn aren't like Aladdin in the lamp, the genie in the lamp. That's more folkloric. According to the Quran, uh, Allah, which is their name for God, created three groups of beings. He created man, angels, and jinn. Now, angels were created from pure light. Humans were created from dust, much like the uh, account in Genesis where uh, God created man from the soil of the earth. And jinn, who aren't really spoken about much at all in Western culture, were created from smokeless fire. And, you know, we, we are probably in Western culture, we, we take for granted, at least the religious folks do, that there are angels. Well, they have angels in Islam as well. And interestingly enough, the angels in Islam, their perception of angels in the Christian or Judaic perception of angels is much the same as being messengers or immediate servants of God. But jinn, what about jinn? You know, it's a new thing. Well, imagine, if you will, the concept or the notion that there is living alongside of us invisibly an entire race of spiritual beings who have cities, who get married, and who do the things that we do, except that they're not us. They're jinn. They're another type of spiritual being. Uh, when I first heard this, you know, I, I was kind of perplexed because I'm, I feel like I'm fairly well-versed in Christian theology and the others, but I've explored Islam in the last few years, reading the Quran and, and attempting to understand perspective, because I feel like you have to explore and read things, talk to people who are Muslim to understand what they're about. You, you can't just listen to the television news and lump everything together. You know, you, you have to kind of get out and really talk to a person. And I think, you know, you'll find lots of different perspective and it'll broaden your horizons as to what, you know, we may be encountering in our world. I mean, you know, I'm going to pose the question. You may doubt it. I may doubt it. But what if gin are real? What if we're living on this planet and there's an entire group of beings that are living right here among us who have cities. We just can't see them. Who reportedly can even live in the same house with you. This was shared with me from a, a, a Muslim scholar that I know. In fact, he, he shared a story with me of uh, a madras they had taken over a uh, 
a deserted, uh, well, I say taken over, not in a forceful way. It was a deserted property up in the Midlands of England. It had been a Royal Air Force base in World War II, and basically the property had been abandoned. So they got a, a lease from the council uh, over there, the people who are in control of the public properties, and put a school, a madras, into the property because there were some buildings and they were not in bad enough shape that they couldn't be improved and make a place so that kids, essentially high school age kids, maybe a little younger, could go there and recite the Quran and learn it because that's something that happens in Islam. The person memorizes the Quran. And and if you're not if you're not familiar with the Quran, the Quran is ba- basically set up like the Christian Holy Bible in that it has chapters and verses. They call the chapters surahs and verses are verses. And it's divided into books. And each one in the particular edition I have, there's an English translation that's set right beside the uh, Arabic translation of the Quran. So anyway, they're there, they've started the school, they've opened it up, and they're starting their classes, and somewhere uh, after they had started, he said, the first several months, said a student who had been a slacker, uh, who had been having a hard time doing the recitation and learning the Quran, <clears throat> said he changed, said that there would be strange uh, noises in the building, said that, um, you know, this student had become fascinated by it, and suddenly uh, this student was the best student that they had in the madras. Uh, the student knew the Quran verse by verse in Arabic and could pose questions that would stump the instructors, people who had, you know, spent 30, 40 years every day reciting, learning, reading the Quran. And this student suddenly, who probably would have been at best a C student, is now asking them theological questions about Islam and doing so in a manner that uh, it, it, I believe if, if I could confer, well, not confer, I think uh, he startled the teaching staff, in other words. They were kind of put off because he began to speak in a voice other than the one he had been. His knowledge was encyclopedic. And they determined that this student had been taken over by a jinn. And so they took the appropriate measures of uh, reading the Quran to him and essentially performed an exorcism. And once that was complete, you know, the student went back to being perhaps a C-plus student after, but back to his same old self. And lost all of the encyclopedic knowledge that he had possessed about the Quran. I wasn't there. Don't know. 
But I do know that uh, this is not unprecedented in Christianity. Certainly we know in Christianity that there are unclean spirits. And am I saying that the jinn was a demon or a devil or an unclean spirit? No, I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is in the same way that the student suddenly has increased his knowledge to an encyclopedic level, people that I do know and that I have encountered in my actual life, uh, spiritual beings have extra knowledge. And they do know things much better than a normal human does, which is to say they can have a commanding mastery of the Holy Bible, even if it is an unclean spirit. They also know future events. They also know past events, hidden events that you might not have ever shared with someone if you ever get in the presence of an unclean spirit or demonic spirit. You know, be prepared because uh, they know what you've been up to. Okay? Now, it could be very embarrassing to a person if you were uh, to participate in an exorcism and you weren't, uh, you know, in the, in the Catholic tradition, confessed, which is to say that you went, confessed your sins, obtained forgiveness from God, and this was washed away. So it would wash away the ability of the spirit to... Uh, recall this or bring it up to you but if you go in and in a spiritually dirty state of being don't be surprised if this you know your hidden secrets aren't brought up now why am I saying this what I'm trying to do is get you to understand and see that there are parallels between these religions and, you know, the interesting thing is, if we went to Thailand, and they have uh, Buddhist temples there, and it's the same sort of thing, uh, spirits have the same abilities. They know extraordinary information about you. They know future events. They know past events. They have a much more commanding uh, knowledge of theology and scripture. So <clears throat> we're gonna we're gonna plow forward just a little bit, and I'm gonna use two comparative uh, you know texts here. I'm gonna use the King James version of the Holy Bible for one, and the other I'm gonna use the Quran. And we're just gonna get into this thing deep today. And I, I hate it. I'm gonna be kind of in teaching mode, uh, but. That's okay, because otherwise you wouldn't have tuned in to learn about the jinn. Okay, we've talked about the jinn in the sense that they are a concurrently existing spiritual being, or beings, that they live alongside us, and that they're here. They're with us. We just cannot see them. Well, that, you know... Perhaps that's a great reason to explain why your keys go missing sometimes. Blame the gin. The gin stole my homework. You know, I can just see lots of opportunities to utilize that. And then when the teacher says, you know, 
you know, you can't, no, no, you can't use the gin as an explanation. Wait a minute, you know, you weren't there. The gin got my homework, you know. I can just see this coming. Uh, anyway, let's go. It's in Surah number 72, Gin are the Spirits. And the first verse, it says, It has been revealed to me that a company of jinns listened to the Quran. They said, We have really heard a wonderful recital. It gives evidence to the right, and we have believed therein. We shall not join in worship any gods with our Lord. And exalted is the majesty of our Lord. He has taken neither a wife nor a son. There were some foolish ones among us who used to utter extravagant lies against God. But we do think that no man or spirit should say aught that is untrue against God. True, there were persons among mankind who took shelter with persons among the jinns, but they increased them in folly, and they came to think as ye thought that God would not raise up anyone to judgment. And we pried into the secrets of heaven, but we found it filled with stern guards and flaming fires. We used indeed to sit there in hidden stations to steal a hearing, but any who listens now will find a flaming fire watching him in ambush. And we understand not whether ill is intended to those on earth or whether their Lord really intends to guide them to right conduct. There are among us some that are righteous and some the contrary. We follow divergent paths. But we think that we can by no means frustrate God throughout the earth, nor can we frustrate him by flight. And as for us, since we have listened to the guidance, we have accepted it. And any who believes in his Lord has no fear either of a short account or of any injustice. Amongst us are some that submit their wills to God and some that swerve from justice. And now those who submit their wills, they have sought out the path of right conduct. But those who swerve, they are not but fuel for hellfire. And God's message is, if they, the pagans, had only remained on the right way, we should certainly have bestowed on them rain in abundance, that we might try them by that means. <clears throat> but if any turns away from the remembrance of his Lord, he will cause him to undergo a severe penalty. And if we jet forward a little bit, I think we, you know, we have just have to take into account this surah is conveying to us that, and it goes onward, by the way, and it's essentially a company of jinn have essentially become Muslim. But there are dissenters among the jinn who are evil. So just paralleling us as human beings, the jinn have good jinn and bad jinn. And I don't know, you know, whether or not we should truly be concerned, uh, but I do know that this is taken in, a, in, gosh, a third of the world. This is rote truth, and it is taken very seriously that these beings exist. And, you know, they can manifest they can show themselves up. 
you know, they can show, they can move things in your house. Apparently, uh, at least anecdotally, I'm going to look at, I used the word anecdotal. There you go. Uh, they can take over or possess a person if they choose to. And they're superior to us in that they have extraordinary knowledge, paranormal knowledge, in fact. So, <clears throat> I don't know. You know, I just thought this would be an interesting topic to explore because until recent years, I knew about genies, or at least the folkloric definition of what a genie was, but did not take seriously the idea that people, you know, Muslim people perceive these as a third race of being. I don't know. Give me your thoughts. Uh, because I want to turn my attention back over to uh, the topic of ghosts again. And our definition uh, among Christian people of what a ghost is. Yes, my background is Christian and uh, so I'm obviously going to speak from the theology or my perception of what it is. Like I said, I'm not attempting to alienate anybody. <clears throat> if you are of a religion and, you know, write in and share it with us, I promise you, I promise you if you do, I'll put your perspective on the show. I'll read the letter, you know, or the email, however you choose to uh, correspond with us. And, and open this up so that, you know, we have a real conversation about, you know, this phenomena. Because I'm not on here, you know, attempting to change anyone's mind or, or put someone in a situation, you know, where they feel like I'm proselytizing because I'm not. <clears throat> but I have to examine all of the evidence to reach a conclusion. And I think that we're always smart to do that. Now, my entire life, in you know, in the, uh, I'm going to refer to the Muslim tradition first, then I'm going to talk about the Christian tradition. But both religions, uh, both Christianity and Islam, believe that when you die, that you don't come back as a ghost. Okay, you, uh, in the Muslim tradition. Uh, you're wrapped up uh, by angels and you're taken away. Then in a short time, you're returned to the grave and you're asked three questions and uh, if you answer the questions correctly, then you're taken away to paradise. But until you're asked the three questions or until the time comes for uh, their judgment day, you remain in the grave, your spirit does, and then you, you know, you go to uh, paradise. Or if you can't answer the questions or honestly, you know, fail the test that you're presented in the grave, you go to hell. <clears throat> in the Christian tradition, you know, they cut to the chase somewhat. And either you believe in uh, Jesus Christ and God and you go to heaven or when you die, you go to hell. And we could get into lots of stuff about the, the the things talked about in the book of Revelations, the Revelations of St. John, you know, the great white throne judgment and all of those things. But for our purposes today, we're just going to leave it at that. So 
what I mean is this. According to these two religions, there is no life on earth for the dead. You depart and you go whence you're supposed to go. You're either going to heaven, you're going to hell. And yet, <clears throat> we, we continue to encounter, you know, lots and lots and lots of stories of people encountering what they perceive to be ghosts, which is human spirits that are still existing on this planet. Now, are they in this plane of existence? Don't know. Do know, however, that they can be seen, they can ha be filmed, and uh, they can interact. I looked up in uh, my Bible, uh, like I said, I'm using the King James today, and it's probably the best account of an interaction between a departed spirit. It's in the book of uh, 1 Samuel, and it starts at chapter 28, verse 7. And you have to understand that Saul is... Uh, Saul's having a bad way. He was afraid. He's, he's losing his kingdom. The Philistines are attacking yet again. And he had relied on the prophet Samuel. And, you know, he, he died. And he doesn't want, Saul doesn't know what to do to deal with the Philistine army that's shown up on his doorstep just to kind of give you kind of a preface for uh, the setting for th these verses. And at verse 7 it starts and says, Then Saul uh, unto his servants said, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. And Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment, and he went, and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night, and he said, I pray thee, divine unto me by thy familiar spirit, and bring me him up whom I shall name unto thee. And the woman said unto him, Behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done. He hath cut off those that have familiar spirits, and the wizards out of the land, Wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Then the woman, whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, <clears throat> Bring me up Samuel. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice, and the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. And the king said unto her, Be not afraid, for what sawest thou? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. And Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? 
And Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me. And God has departed from me and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called thee, that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. And then Samuel, wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee, and is become thine enemy? And the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me, for the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand, and given it to thy neighbor, even to David. Because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. So what we've you know what we see here is that while and I'm certain that there's a biblical scholar out there that would debate and say no what what Saul has called up through the witch of Endor is a demonic spirit but the interaction is uh the interaction is more genuine to me, and I'm not saying that it's not a demonic spirit that the witch of Endor is called up, but I am saying that here we have an Old Testament passage that clearly points to the fact that some sort of spirit made itself known to the king of Israel through the means of a medium. A medium. So, you know, where are we at? Okay, in my own life, you know, a couple of instances. One I, I shared earlier in the podcast, my wife and I were at uh, the cabin of a friend. I'm going to do a little short thumbnail version. Uh, went in, I wanted to show her the interior of uh, the cabin. It was getting twilight, it was dark. I'm feeling around inside the cabin, and trying to find a light switch to illuminate the, the living room area of the cabin. Can't find it. When I perceived that my wife whispered into my ear, I smell humans. I smell humans. And at the time, you know, I honestly, I thought it was odd, but I didn't really... I, I didn't really examine it. I just thought it was odd that she would put something that way well you know obviously you smell humans we're human a human lives here so you're going to smell humans it was only much later when we got down the road that i asked her about it in a more formal setting that you know hey you know what did you mean by this and she's like i didn't ask you that i never even went into the house where you were standing in uh, the doorway You know, but something said that to me in my right ear. Another instance, I'm in Japan. A little city up on Hokkaido. Well, it's not a little city by Japanese standards. It's, you know, probably 500,000, 600,000 people maybe. Maybe a little smaller than that. But they had a mountain. It was uh, Mount Hakodate. I go up there, you know, I, I'm doing the touristy thing. I'm over there as a student, but, you know, on the weekends and stuff when you're not studying, you, uh, 
you, you want to get out and go do touristy things. You want to go see, you know, the squid boats come in and, you know, see the foreigner graveyard and that sort of thing in the city. So, you know, I wind my way up the top of the mountain that sits at the end of a peninsula looking over the Sugaru Straits over at the Sea of Japan. And I got up there late in the afternoon. I'm standing in an overlook. And uh, it was pretty deserted, actually. There weren't really much anybody around because it was a Saturday and it was getting late in the day. So, you know, I'm standing there looking out over the ocean, thinking about whatever, and I noticed uh, a very small uh, Japanese lady uh, standing nearby me looking out to sea. You know, in uh, a full kimono, which, you know, while the kimonos are beautiful, but, you know, a full beautiful kimono costs, you know, thousands of dollars in material. And she also had on uh, wooden sandals. And I promised the ascent up the mountain would be completely uncomfortable in wooden sandals. So my thought was that maybe this is a hostess or someone who's at the, the Vista Center at the top of the mountain or something. Didn't, you know, never paid it any never mind at the time. But uh, I remember that uh, I thought I might go over and just say hello, see if she spoke English or not. You know, when you're living in a place and you, you don't get to speak your native language very often, it's it's really reassuring and, and uh, nice when you can converse in your own native language. Some, you know, so I'd hoped that perhaps she spoke English. And I remember I turned around and walked over towards the area, but couldn't find her. And there was no way with those wooden clogs that she had on, because it was a... Uh, not gravel, it was like flagstone, it was it was a hard surface. There's no way she could have left without me knowing that she were she were leaving. She would have made some sort of noise as she left. And we're talking about me seeing her in a time elapsing of perhaps two minutes before I turned back around. <clears throat> so it was a big mystery to me at the time. I was a kid though. You know, I was probably 20, 21 at the time. And I looked around, didn't see. I, you know, I went back to the main area and, and, and took the, uh, went down the lift and everything to go back. And uh, I was living with a host family at the time. I went back to those, to the house and, I, you know, explained to them I'd finally gone up the mountain to see the view of the, the ocean, etc., and uh, I mentioned that, you know, how this woman had disappeared. And they looked at me. It was kind of like a, a look of surprise. And, oh, you, you know, well, this this place was a place where in the old days, and when I say old days, I mean the 19th, 18th century, uh, people would hurl themselves to their death. Uh you know, and there was even a story, if I understood, about a princess who was uh, heartbroken and had, had 
committed suicide in that manner. I don't know to this day. And I can't make the claim that it was a ghost. But I do know that, uh, to me anyway, I find it basically scientifically and logically impossible for this person to have just uh, essentially evaporated in my presence without making any sort of noise. You know, I believe, uh, you know, I'm young, got all my senses, I'm in good shape. You know, I could, I would have heard this lady leave. So I don't know. <clears throat> but we all encounter things like this out in the world. Everybody is listening. I guarantee you that if we could take a poll, everybody listening would have an experience of something similar to those two. Now, I've gone to other places and places that were purportedly haunted. Uh, I mentioned uh, last episode about Castillo de San Marcos. Well, I went there specifically because I wanted to walk the fort. And uh, I did feel some cold places, but there was nothing in the fort that just left me feeling like uh, I had encountered anything that was supernatural. Yet other people have seen, uh, you know, a ghostly lantern bobbing along the ramparts at night and noises and people speaking Spanish, uh, disembodied voices speaking Spanish. You know, I mean, who knows? I don't know. These two religions say it's not true. And yet, we continue to encounter these things. Yes, I understand and know that uh, there is a school of thought that uh, if you believe in unclean spirits and demons and that sort of thing, okay? I'm not saying whether I do or not. I mean, obviously, if my background is Christian, I'm going to have to uh, lean towards that there is actually, you know, these, these things exist. Unclean spirits exist. And, but you may not. That's fine. But in theological thought, from that viewpoint, some people believe that these unclean spirits emulate human beings and pretend to be ghosts. You know, I don't know. And I know what I can personally believe, but I'm not here to proselytize. I'm here to examine and explore. You know, we have yet, I mean, there are EVPs, electronic voice phenomena, people that bring up, they record these things at haunted sites, and, you know, unless they're tampering with the equipment, uh, lots of TV shows do this. I, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you've seen some of the television shows that go on ghost hunts. Unless they're manipulating and they're creating these electronic voice phenomena, obviously their voices that they're being recorded on their digital recorders and they're not doing it. Oh no, it's just a very interesting topic. And I think it's something that everybody needs to, uh, you know, you need to consider this as you go out and especially if you're a ghost hunter, uh, Forewarned is forearmed, you know. What could be out there? Don't know. 
Don't know. It's hard to deal with uh, invisible entities because you, you have no idea. I, you know, I'm sitting here recording right now. Could be somebody sitting in the chair across from me. No idea that they're there. Sitting, you know, making faces at me and stuff. Thumbing their nose at me. I would have no idea. All I can do is sit here and, <clears throat> you know, I don't perceive anything that's in the room with me. But how do you deal with something that's invisible? I don't know. And herein lies the truth of our show, which is to say, you know, not an, there's not an answer to this. There's certainly not an easy answer to it. We can make assumptions, but we can't say definitively what's there. One thing I will, though, I will add this. And this is for people out there, you know, uh, it seems like the younger you are, the more foolish your decisions will be. When you're young, you you know, you're 10 foot tall, made out of stainless steel, you're, you're bulletproof, and you're indestructible. Uh, so it makes you engage in a lot more risky behaviors. And you know what? I know some 65-year-olds that still think that they're 10 foot tall and made out of steel. That's okay. But... When you're dealing with this sort of stuff, let me just make a suggestion. This, uh, you know, as we close up today, if you're going to deal like with these these beings or entities, let me make a strong suggestion to you that you not engage in a method of direct contact. Uh, in this, I'm, I'm saying something like a spirit board. Um, there's one that's sold by a game company called a Ouija board. When you do this, I think that it is tantamount to essentially you opening the front door of your house and just leaving it open. And anybody or anything that wants to can come in and out of your house at will. And I think in the spiritual sense, when you engage in utilization of a Ouija board, you are basically opening yourself up for this. The same thing, I think, is true with magic. And I know a lot of people don't believe in magic, but, you know, I promise you I could bring some people on the show that would swear to you up and down that they accomplish major things through the use of magic. You know, there's a great southern tradition of hoodoo and voodoo, and now there are people who adhere to a new earth religion called Wicca. Uh, of course, I mean, I've offended the Wiccans, but it is a, a, a 20th century manifestation of a pagan belief system. Let me just put it that way. So, when you engage in these activities and you have no idea what you're doing, you're opening yourself to spiritual attack because if the Quran and the Bible are correct in their description of unclean spirits, you know, they hate us. They want to cause us ill. They want to destroy us. So, if in fact we are allowing them into our life, then, you know, get ready because it's going to cause havoc. So, really, really, really seriously, you know, 
good advice from an old dude here today. Uh, steer clear of uh, engaging in those activities with uh, spirit boards. And, you know, I'm not going to speak. Wiccan would say that they understand how to employ their magic. Okay. Well, I, you know, I'm not going to employ magic. Uh, that may be your choice. But if you do, I would strongly suggest that you at least find someone who is a uh, well-versed practitioner and can guide you through whatever process that you do to engage in, you know, magic. Don't don't rush out and buy a book. You know, you can buy these things uh, and start doing spells from these books because you have no idea what you may unleash back on yourself. And yes, to a certain degree, I do believe that people can invoke spirits and these spirit beings into uh, taking a more active role in participating in a person's life. The unfortunate part is they may not be beneficial and, you know, you may be asking for a real disaster when you do this. Don't know. I don't know. You know, a philosophical note is, to me, is that uh, we don't know what's really out there in spiritual realm. We have explanations that are provided to us through uh, holy scripture and holy books. And uh, we have, of course, the practical explanations provided by friends and family and, you know, people we encounter. And even in, in our own cases, we have encounters with these things. But the explanation is as mysterious today, and I think it, it still will be as long as we exist in a human body. I don't think everything is going to be revealed to us while we're uh, yet living in this body. I think there's uh, an ever ongoing mystery in this world through, uh, you know, the spirit realm so don't know I've enjoyed our conversation today and uh, I hope that you you know walk away with a little more knowledge especially about uh, the different groups of spirits that exist out there or allegedly exist out there in the world and that may be something in your life that you've encountered perhaps you'll take away something that we've talked about here today and it will help you to uh, make sense of whatever it is you've encountered. I don't know. But I do know that every day someone somewhere is encountering a ghost. So something's going on out there, folks. We may not know the answer, but... There is something out there that uh, is at least pretending to be a ghost. I don't know. It's kind of spooky, isn't it? You know, I'm sitting here. I don't like this. I'm, I'm alone. Steve's not with me to, to protect me today. So, I don't know. He probably, uh, after talking, let me make this note. He, I doubt he'll be back next time. You know, he's going to get back on his feet. But you understand, Steve's a really smart, busy guy. And when you're sick and you need downtime, you just, you know, I'm not going to press him for this. But 
you know, trust me, he's going to get back on his feet and we'll be back uh, moving forward like we have been. All right, thank you again. And uh, hopefully we'll see you all again next week. I hope you have a wonderful week. I hope that uh, everything goes okay for you. Thanks again from me at, and uh, Steve and I at Anecdotal Notes. <laughs>